today is the second day of our autumn seven days session. It's the 16th of May 2016. And we're going to take up another story in uh, The Hidden Lamp. Stories from 25 Centuries of Awakened Women by Florence Caplow, edited by Florence Caplow and, and Susan Moon. And uh, the story we're going to look at today is called The Old Woman's Enlightenment. <coughs> Uh, and this is how it goes. An old woman went to hear Master Hakuin give a lecture. He said, Your mind is the pure land, and your body, Amida Buddha. When Amida Buddha appears, mountains, rivers, forests, and fields all radiate a great light. If you want to understand, look into your own heart. The old woman pondered Hakuin's words day and night, waking and sleeping. One day, as she was washing a pot after breakfast, a great light flashed through her mind. She dropped the pot and ran to tell Hakuin, Amida Buddha filled my whole body. Mountains, rivers, forests and fields are all shining with light. How wonderful! She danced for joy. What are you talking about? Hakuin asked. Does the light shine up your asshole? Small as she was, she gave him a big push, saying, I can see you're not enlightened yet. They both burst out laughing. So a little bit about a little bit of background on these characters first. First we have this old woman, um, a nameless old woman. She, this is a kind of almost, you could say, a stock character within Zen stories, the nameless old woman. Um, somebody anonymous, somebody of, of low status. Perhaps he could even say somebody that, that wouldn't people uh, of higher status wouldn't pay much attention to. Someone who doesn't really count for much, you could say. I mean, you might dismiss or, or not even really see. But then, in many of these stories, this, this person of no account surprises, has an insight, perhaps the, or, or is insightful, is enlightened. Uh, perhaps the most... Um, um, well-known example of this is the tea lady in uh, the Koan and Muankan, Ryutan blows out a candle. She's the one who, who as, as Toksan, is coming to um, give Ryutan what for, for um, teaching Zen. Um, uh, Toksan at this point is a, great, is a great scholar of the Diamond Sutra and he's carrying a pack on his back um, stuffed full of his commentaries on the sutra and uh, he goes he stops on his way to the temple to um, get a cup of tea and um, the, the lady behind the counter the old woman says hmm if you can answer my question venerable sir I'll let you have some cakes if you can't then I'm afraid you won't get any tea or cakes here. 
and then she she puts her question to Toksan. Past mind is ungraspable. Present mind is ungraspable. Future mind is ungraspable. And this is a quote from the Diamond Sutra. Pray, Venerable Sir, which mind is going to taste these cakes? And Toksan can't answer. He, he is shamed by this old lady. And this experience is, is really what, what starts his whole attitude to shift. He, start, he moves from um, coming to visit Ryutan in order to set him right about the Dharma to coming with humility, realizing that he, he, his understanding isn't as, as far-reaching as he thought. He can't even answer the question of an old tea lady. I counted up, um, and there, there are 14 stories in this book, Hidden Lamp, um, which um, have old woman in the title. And of course, in, in reality, these are all different individuals with, with um, a past and a present and a future, each of them unique. Um, and this does come out in the stories. Uh, but because of the, the um, disregard for women, they are um, characters about whom we know very little, except often what, what we hear from the story itself. The other character in this story is Master Hakuin, and of course... Um, this is somebody we have a lot of information about and, and much of it from his own writings and also from his very loyal um, disciple who, who um, also wrote about him. His dates are 1689 to 1769 and he's really the, the greatest figure in Japanese Rinzai Zen. Um, a reviver of, of the school which had been deteriorating for several centuries. Um, he developed um, and systemized the koan training um, and he emphasized the importance of sitting, of doing zazen. Uh, the school, had, uh, Rinzai, had become intellectualized and um, there was a lot of emphasis on the, on the, the texts rather than the actual practice. And uh, what, the chant that we just did, uh, Master Hakuin's chant of praises Zazen, is, is one of the, the, where we can see this, this um, importance he, he laid on actual sitting. He was also a great um, painter, calligrapher, sculptor as well, a writer, really um, multi-talented. Also cared deeply for um, 
the peasants that lived in and around Hara, where his temple was, um, most of whom probably were followers of the Pure Land tradition. I'll say a little bit about that in a moment. He actually even uh, add another um, talent to his, his many talents. He wrote songs for um, the local people, sort of like folk songs, pop songs, which had Dharma teachings in them for people around. And, and this affection for his, his neighbours comes out in his writings as well. This pure land that is that is um, Hegwan talks about um, in his in the in the Taisho which inspires the old woman is is referring to um, the 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 paradise of Amitabha. The pure land school is. Um, is the most popular school of Buddhism today in Japan and um, it's also quite widely practiced in temples in China including Chan temples where these two traditions have become interwoven and the, the teaching of the Pure Land School is that if you put your faith in Amitabha whose name means the Buddha of infinite light if you call his name with, with your whole heart then you'll be freed from suffering you'll be reborn into Amitabha's pure land Sukhavati and this pure land um, Buddhas there are, there are innumerable Buddhas if you if you um, even to the teachings of the sutras uncountable Buddhas and each of these Buddhas ha- um, kind of presides over Buddha lands pure lands but this particular um, pure land has become a particular focus for uh, human beings because Amitabha is said to have made a vow to uh, bring to salvation all who, who sincerely call upon him. This, this teaching is, is akin in some ways to Christianity in the sense of uh, Christians putting their faith in um, Jesus Christ and finding salvation through him. Of course, there are many differences too, but uh, you could say that if you could compare um, the, the Pure Land School with the, the Zen School, then in, in, um, in Japan, they talk about the differences being between um, Jiriki and Tariki, where Zen... Um, talks about jiriki which means self power 
and Pure Land talks about tariki, which means other power. Actually, at the, at the, in, if you go far enough in, in, in either tradition, really these two are not opposites. Different aspects of one, one effort. But perhaps one of the reasons why Pure Land is, is more popular is that it's presented by the, the um, teachers of the Pure Land as the easy way, you know, as the way that's suitable for um, ordinary people with um, lots of delusions. Anyone can do it because we're not relying on our own, own uh, power, so to speak, but putting our faith in Amitabha's power. And the, the central practice of the Pure Land School is the recitation of, of Amitabha's name. In, um, in Japanese, Namo Amidabutsu. So if you're a Pure Land practitioner, you just... You just Give yourself to that this chant everywhere you go. Namu Amida Butsu, Namu Amida Butsu. When we were on pilgrimage in Japan, we would meet uh, groups of other Buddhist pilgrims and Chinese people, and they would say to us uh, as a greeting, Omitofo, which is the Chinese way of saying the same name. Omitofo. It's really, it's really has a lot of beauty to it. Just the simple faith, the simple um, evocation of an enlightened being. In our story, um, Master Hakuin in his Taisho um, is teaching about the pure land and giving it, a, you could say, a Zen spin. He says, Your mind is the pure land and your body is Amida Buddha. When Amida Buddha appears, mountains, rivers, forests and fields all radiate a great light. If you want to understand, look into your own heart. Given that that his, uh, the people living near his temple were likely to be uh, pure land devotees, Master Hakuin um, uses upaya, skillful means, and teaches uh, using the terminology which his listeners were familiar with. 
akin to um, teachers these days um, talking in terms of psychology or um, brain research, quantum physics. It says, your mind is the pure land and your body is Amida Buddha. might have been a bit shocking to his audience our minds are full of defilement how can they be called the pure land and our bodies too with all the impurities of our bodies surely it's our body that, that deceives us and yet he says that our mind is the pure land and our body is Amida Buddha We say this in, also in the, in the Zazen Wasan. This earth where we stand is the pure lotus land. And this very body, the body of Buddha, same teaching is in this story. But actually, if, you, if we look into it, our mind has to be the pure land if it's to be a true refuge. So we take our mind wherever we go. We can't possibly experience any pure land without a pure mind. Um, In the Dhammapada, there's a, um, a verse which says, Driven by fear, people run for security to mountains and forests, to sacred spots and shrines. But none of these can be safe refuge because they do not free the mind from fear. Wherever we go, wherever we try to flee, our mind comes with us. In the, in the way of the Bodhisattva, Shantideva writes, All anxiety and fear, pain and suffering immeasurable, each from the mind itself proceeds. Thus the truthful one has said, This is so, and therefore I will seize this mind of mine and guard it well. I will seize this mind of mine and guard it well. That's where our refuge is. Fear and aversion are a kind of hell the, 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 very, the very opposite of um, a pure land 
to um, to really appreciate this need to to uh, take ourselves in hand to um, work with the mind means to take responsibility for our lives we, we can't change our past but we do have a choice about this moment and the next moment and the next one it's here that, that our, uh, our freedom lies and at some point we have to really come to grips with this, this uh, um, fundamental um, aversion that comes up in different ways for us Stephen Batchelor writes about fear fear is the longing not to be hurt the craving not to suffer misfortune it is the fundamental aversive reaction to the threats with which life confronts us as well as being an emotion in its own right it pervades all self-centered emotion whether consumed by hatred or riddled by doubts in both cases, I am afraid. How do we how do we get beyond this mind of fear? Master Hakuan gives us gives us um, an indication. He says, if you want to understand, look into your heart. This old woman does just that. She she takes Hakuan's Taisho to heart literally we can guess that she developed a lot of faith in Amida Buddha through her her devotions and probably also her good works keeping the precepts she was ripe she was ready when she heard this and she followed his guidance. The old woman pondered Hakuin's words day and night, waking and sleeping. Teachers can only uh, point us in the right direction. 
can't do the practice for us. We have to we have to follow the guidance. And the and really the theme of all the instructions we receive is let go. No one can do this for us. Not even Amida Buddha. Because the the point with uh, the Pure Land is there has to be this turning towards his salvific power. There has to be the devotion. The simple act of turning towards, but doing it again and again and again. This is how we uncover our, our mind, which is the pure land. We, we just need to access our willingness to do it. Our longing. Ajahn Chah said remember you don't meditate to get anything but to get rid of things we do it not with desire but with letting go if you want anything you won't find it this is the, this is the paradox in, in practice in the pure land school it's expressed we, we, we take our longing for Uh, release from our suffering and we pour it into Namu Amida Butsu. And then we take our longing for freedom from our suffering and we pour it into the breath with a koan. We let go of our self-images and let, let something else in something else that's, that's more intimate than those self-images more fundamental
This letting go is, is the whole of the teaching. There's a story um, that I've told before. It's about a man who had a real problem with anger and um, he was walking he was walking out in the, the forest thinking about this problem of his and uh, he, he thought to himself I really I really don't want to get angry anymore I, I fly off the handle I'm it's just out of control but I don't know how to get rid of it how to shake it and then surprise surprise he saw a holy man deep in the forest and this guy this this sage was uh, standing with his arms wrapped around a tree and so this man said to him, Can you help me? I'm plagued by anger and I can't stand it anymore. And the sage said, I can help you, but first you'll have to wait until this tree lets go of me. And the man replied, But sir, the tree isn't holding on to you, you're holding on to it. The sage smiled, let go of the tree, and disappeared into the forest. old woman she was ready to let go she just um, devoted herself to her search for Amida Buddha until one day she was washing a pot after breakfast and she experienced this great light flashing through her mind and we're told she just she just left that pot and ran to tell Hakuin what had happened. Ran out of her house, up the road, in through the modest little temple where Hakuin lived and, and just, just charged into his room and, and just let it all spill out what was going on. And Hakuin eyed her imagine his piercing gaze he assessed what was going on and then he says does this light shine up your asshole just feigning contempt you could say for what she's what she's experienced of course he's He's, he's testing her here. 
the um, the uh, person who writes the reflection on this story is um, Shinge Roke Cherry Chayat. And um, her comment here is on this part of the story. Filled with the joy of her enlightenment, feeling the endless dimensions of that light within and without, she ran to Hakuin, who immediately tested her with words crass enough to shake a realization that wasn't genuine. His question, does the light shine up your asshole, was the equivalent of a, a similarly coarse expression, expression in our time. Oh yeah? Stick it where the sun don't shine. Words that would expose any lingering duality of sacred versus profane, Amida Buddha's realm versus this realm. No longer a timid mouse, the old woman responded like a dragon, with the confidence that comes with genuine insight, challenging Hakuin, revealing the sameness of their awakened mind within the differentiation of male-female, renowned teacher, statusless student. Instantaneously they burst into great laughter, mirroring each other in joyful recognition. Quite often um, insights come to people while they're doing some ordinary task. In this case she's, she's cleaning the rice pot from breakfast. important point here is that she was giving herself to her koan 100% and she was also cleaning that pot 100% a fusion took place a uh, going beyond the the dualities we create in our minds between um, action and contemplation between enlightenment and ordinary life and we see this in, in the old woman's response to Hakuin's crude comment she says, I can see you're not enlightened yet. She knows now for herself that enlightenment is not enlightenment. That it's wonderful and marvelous, yes, but at the same time, completely ordinary. There all along, but hidden. Now, visible this earth where we stand is the pure lotus land and this very body the body of Buddha it is a dilemma though um, by, by talking about this enlightenment there is no enlightenment we create we create um, s- 
something out of nothing. And then, of course, we chase after it, this something. But the other, other option is not speaking of it, and this would be to ignore or, or deny what can, can transform our lives and is, is more, more vital than, than pretty much anything. This is one of the um, one of the um, criticisms of the three pillars of Zen is um, that it 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 holds up enlightenment in a way that um, that that reifies it and and becomes problematic. Um, This is what um, um, Roshi Kolhid um, says in his um, in his essay in a little book on on the three pillars of Zen, written uh, commentaries on it. Um, it's a kind of fest shrift. It's called Zen Teachings and Practice, edited by Kenneth Kraft. And um, Roshi Kolhid says the danger of published Enlightenment counts is twofold. First, they can provoke in the reader a grasping state of mind, the very antithesis of our essential mind, and second, they can give the impression that an initial awakening is the arrival point of Zen practice, when it very much is not an arrival point, but a a time or a place to, to rekindle our efforts, to start again. I think our time is nearly up. I forgot to hit my clock. Okay, a little bit. Um, we won't get through it all today, uh, but I wanted to explore this this um, dilemma a little bit further, um, turning to to a, an article in this book, another article um, called "Seeing the Ox: A Second Look." And this article is by um, Roshi Sunyana Graif. Um, she's a, a Dharma sister to my teacher, uh, Roshi Bodhan Kolhi. Um, sanctioned heir of, of Roshi Kaplo and um, has been teaching um, at the, the Vermont Zen Center since 1988. Um, she's also she also has uh, teachers groups in um, uh, well, well, formerly taught in Toronto, but it's now passed Toronto Centre on to one of her her own Dharma heirs, and um, 
also goes regularly to Costa Rica to the group there, gives the sheen. So she's, um, she's my, my Dharma aunt, you could say. Um, so one, one uh, um, generation um, earlier, uh, she, was, she was in her 20s in the late 60s and early 70s when um, uh, at, at the height of, of uh, uh, you could say, the influence of the Three Pillars is in at the centre in Rochester. And she writes. She she writes in this article about about the the influence the three pillars of Zen had on her, and um, on her many many young people of her, many um, men and women of of her generation. And and so I'd like to start now and then continue tomorrow. Um, with reading her, reading and commenting on her, her article, uh, help us to. I hope it will help us to, to um, get put into perspective this, this um, vexed question of um, Kensho, Satori, enlightenment. And, and, and how we can skillfully um, work on the practice in a way that that um, is balanced and Which doesn't fall into grasping, but nor does it fall into um, not aspiring to um, realize, to, to know the pure land. Here, read this, my professor said, handing me an open book. We were on our way to Rochester, New York, where I was about to attend a seven-day meditation retreat, Sashin, my precipitous introduction to Zen practice. During the several-hour trip, I read story after story of people who had come to enlightenment, people who had been bathed in a delicious, unspeakable delight, who had disappeared into a dazzling stream of illumination, who had experienced joy like no other. Those are all quotes from the Three Pillars. Well, here it was. Salvation. A way out of misery. This is just what I had been looking for in every misbegotten place under the sun. My years of confusion and mental turmoil were about to end. I was wrong. Sashin was torture pure and simple. I struggled with my mind. I struggled with my body. With every muscle I pushed and fought my way to Kensho, initial enlightenment, or towards Kensho. At the end of the week, nothing. I dissolved into tears, convinced that I was the only one who had not achieved enlightenment. 
I resolved never to attend another Sashin. Clearly, I was a Zen failure. Somehow, in my rapt yet inattentive reading of the Kensho stories in the Three Pillars of Zen, I had failed to notice that most of the people had not come into enlightenment at their first Sashin, nor at their second, but only after years of solid training and Sashin experience. I don't think she would be the only one who who went into their first session with this um, mis- mistaken notion. And actually, it's something to be to be valued, even this this mistaken notion, because it does point to uh, her faith in possibility of awakening of Kensho and our disappointment is, is a kind of can, if we go through a sashin with this, this expectation that we can awaken in that sashin um, it's a symptom of that faith that disappointment that we go through as painful it is, as it is it comes it comes out of um, of course, the, the 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 desire for it to happen right now. This this sheen comes out of our desire for it. So so we read we we read these accounts and we um, forget what is behind them. As with the old woman in our story, we can be sure that there were years of devoted practice, perhaps all her life, chanting um, uh, Namu Amida Butsu, caring and loving her family, caring for and loving her family. cooking and cleaning and working in the fields maybe all of that would have gone into this amazing experience of light that she had when her mind was ripe She continues, It has been more than 30 years since I first read those stories. Over time, they have become an unsettling question for me. I wonder, did the Enlightenment accounts accounts in the Three Pillars point the way, or did they mislead, sometimes woefully so? Two months after my first session, I decided to give it another try, then another and another, and so on through the years until I lost count. Although the need for serious training and ongoing practice became indisputable, I still held out for the grail of deeper and deeper enlightenment. My practice became so focused on breaking through that I neglected other aspects of training, the cultivation of compassion for one, 
Herein lies the double-edged sword of those stories. For some people, they provided the inspiration to begin practicing and the motivation to keep going despite the hardships innate in spiritual work. For others, they led to a warped view of Zen practice. And I think we could fairly say that for some people, it was both. The stories um, could keep us going and give us a somewhat warped view of practice, of Buddhist practice. I know for me, they, the stories in this, this, I formed my idea of what enlightenment was supposed to be alike, like from those stories. Reading them uh, before doing any practice, uh, that process had probably already kind of gelled and happened before I even sat on the mat. They were so compelling, so vivid, and so much putting into into words um, my longing for um, a way, a path out of um, pain. Well, our time is up. We'll stop here and continue with this tomorrow.